Oh my fucking God. Welcome to Battles with Bits of Rubber with Stuart Bray and Todd Debrashini. This is Steve Johnson, and you gotta listen to the show. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, my life is one big dream. Nightmare, more like it. All things considered, life is life is good. I just got back from a week in Atlanta helping my folks downsize and move out of the the home that they've been in for 47 years where it's the only house my sister's ever known. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she took a truckload of stuff back to her house at the beach and they had, the estate sale was on Saturday and I drove back with a, a U-Haul truck full of stuff. So Don and I are now clearing out our own stuff to make room for other stuff mm. must yeah. be a hard thing to do though i mean all that kind of stuff isn't it with with parents you know i'm it's it still hasn't quite hit me yet i think maybe I've, i haven't been able to focus very well in the last few days on on stuff that i need to get done because it's starting to catch up with me but you know life is all about change and it, the place that they've moved in is pretty cool. It's it's much smaller, but um, it's nice. And you know, my dad's ninety; he's got glaucoma, so he doesn't see well. But you know, all things considered, they're doing great. They're other than that, they're both both quite healthy. They're together. They've been married for sixty six years, and they'll probably outlive me. What about you? Well, same kind of stuff with you know, kind of. Uh, I have elderly parent issues as well, <laughs> but uh, they kind of keep things ticking along, and and kids as well. Not elderly kids, that'd be weird. But yeah, um, so yeah, a lot of family stuff and all that kind of stuff. Whilst trying to do jobs as well. Um, on the good side, uh, good things have come out. Doctor Strange has just come out over here, which is seems to be doing well. I haven't seen it myself, but um, people... Yeah, I'm hearing good things about it. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. Um, I did a bunch of stuff on it. It's one of those things when you work on these shows, this is why I like doing blog posts and, you know, tutorials and stuff so much, is you can do all these things and you can come up with stuff and it looks really cool, but you can't take pictures of it and show people because it's all owned by Marvel and they come and hunt you down and kill you if you did. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah. But basically I sculpted the, the scars that he has throughout the movie when they're sort of healed. There was a few different, again, I haven't seen it, but I've seen some pictures and yeah, it looks like there's obviously various okay, surgeries well, that he I has. And there are some that I didn't do, but the ones that I did do are the ones he wears most of the time, as far as I'm aware. We did the tests. I did you know, a few tests. I sculpted and molded the pieces and then applied a few tests and see how they went. And then, I, But I didn't go on set with it because that would have meant going up to Nepal for six months or whatever. And it's not something I can do with my family and kids which is again <laughs> like we were saying earlier about family stuff it gets you know you have to adjust life accordingly but uh, that was a good yeah. fun, good fun job to do and i've just come back uh yesterday or the day four from the prosthetics event uh, which was awesome um that was a lot of fun and it's one day thing yeah i'm so event. envious i was seeing all the facebook posts about it yeah, it was relentless. There was so much going on. And it's amazing because Neil does it. It's like one day. It's a one day, you know, thing. But there's a lot of things that went on in that one day. And my head came away buzzing. And I couldn't really sleep that night because my head was just filled with all the things. There was Sangeet Prabhakar's got these amazing, um, like, transfer, prosthetic transfer demo that he did. And um, some really, really nice, cool techniques. And you see the sculpts and stuff because he had some of the sculpts there. That was really, really cool. Who all was there? 
Oh, well, Steve Johnson came over. That was fun. Um, which um, <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> which uh, he kicked off this episode, as you heard. Um, there's also uh, I'm gonna. I, I managed to grab him for like five minutes just to ask him a little bit, um, because obviously you can imagine he was surrounded by people all the time, and I, he was very busy doing a lot of stuff and chatting. He's a force of nature for sure. He is a force of nature. But uh, yeah, so I'm excited about the whole Rubberhead book that he's he's got coming out. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for my copy to get here. Yeah, no, I, I can't wait to see that. It'll be awesome. But yeah, so there was him and there was a guy called Andrew Sinclair who runs a sculpture school or teaches yeah. a sculpture school. And he did a bit and I spoke to him and I spoke to a guy called Richard Martin as well, somebody I'd not met before. But we had a great time. It was just talking about the sculpts that they'd done. And we were just on stage chatting for about an hour talking about, you know, sculpting. And a lot of the things kind of came up that were very interesting was slightly off topic about like the nature of learning sculpture and how it feels when you're sculpting and all those kinds of things, things that are really quite important, but not necessarily uh-huh. something that people talk about. So we did a bit of that. That was fun. Well, I know you got to spend some time with Rob Friedis. Oh yeah. We got, uh, we managed to secure Rob for, for, for a meeting and an interview, which was cool. Um, again, that would have been one of those things we would love to have done with Skype, but it was just like, I had to drive up there late one evening. I wasn't sure what time I could get out of the house cause I had kids to sort out. And then by the time I got there, it was like really late in the evening. And then we just kind of um, grabbed a corner in, in a pub, tried to do something there, but it was too noisy. So we ended up going back to his hotels, a few of us, another guy, and uh, Nat Reynolds, and we all, we all sat down <laughs> and basically were in the lobby of this hotel, and it was just like, well, this is where we're going to do it. So I just started recording. It's the first time <laughs> I've, I've done one of these in like a public space. It was like, well, it won't be too noisy, and it was it was pretty good. So uh, yeah, we got the Rob Fraser's one coming up soon. That was that was very very interesting. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, something I wanted to mention was just before, well, not long before Easter, um, Easter, not long before Halloween. That other great Christian holiday. Um, uh, it was uh, at Pinewood uh, where I was teaching. And uh, as I was going up to class, I noticed Howard Berger. And I just said, oh, hi, Howard, how are you? And he's very chatting, very nice and everything. And he asked, oh, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, I'm, you know, thinking of my own something with, you know, that some movie or something. And I was like, no, I'm teaching upstairs. Um, and he said, oh, I'll come up and say hi. And I'm thinking, oh, that'd be lovely if you could. And he goes, yeah, I've got to do, you know, Mark Wahlberg's makeup, whatever. When, when I'm done, I'll see if I can come up. And I was like, oh, that'd be lovely if you can. And uh, so I went up to the class and I said, oh, I just bumped into Howard Berger and he said he might pop up. And two or three, two or three of them were like kind of eyes wide open, like, what? And I was like, wow, the fact that you responded like that is fantastic for a start because you know what that means. Um, but we'll see, you know, he's a busy man. He's got a lot going on, but dang, if he didn't come up in the afternoon after lunch, uh, he popped up and, uh, like he said he would, and he, he saw that I was busy. We had like 12 people in the class and he just jumped right in and helped me teach the class for half an hour. That's so cool. Howard's a mensch. He's a great guy. Just comes right in, just grabs up brushes, doesn't miss a beat, does not miss a beat, just, just steps right in and, and helps out. It was amazing. And it was like, no one knew, well, they knew cause I said, but no one was expecting that when they booked the course, it was just a nice little thing. So. That was amazing. So that was very, very cool. Nice. And a little, a little intimidating for me, frankly, because I grew up, you know, reading about KMB and stuff and Fangoria magazine. So to have this guy there, you know, helping me teach the class, I was like, oh, <laughs> it was a, a we're not worthy <laughs> moment. It was pretty cool. That's great. So the other thing about uh, Halloween as well, we we saw quite a few uh, dangerous, what I would consider dangerous makeups that we've seen with like coke cans, uh. scissors, shards of glass that held in place with mountains of wax. Yeah, and um, using ac- using real scissors, for God's sake. Yeah, dangerous, um, but also incredibly unlikely to have happened and derivative. Let's not do yeah. that. <laughs> I got to do some fun stuff for Halloween this year. 
What did you get up to this Halloween? Um, well, my friend Corey Bryant um, had booked a couple of gigs, and she it was too much for her to handle on her own, and she graciously asked me to to take part. We got to do full makeup and costumes on the band Widespread Panic. They had three sold out shows uh, Halloween weekend, and their third their third night was the thirtieth. And we got to do do the whole band's makeup, and the crowd went absolutely bananas when each one of them walked on stage to start the show. And that was that was a real rush. Whoa! What kind of makeup were you doing? Um, let's see. We did a, a zombie Gilligan. Uh, we did a did a, a ghost. We did um, <laughs> um, Dwayne Trucks. Their drummer was Hulk Hogan. Good Hulk and Bad Hulk. They did two sets that night. A Demon. Let's see, there's six of them. What else did we do? I don't remember. Brain Fart. But it was a hoot. And then the next day, we got to do a couple of Denver Broncos for a Denver Broncos Halloween party. We did um, did a Tupac Shakur and and um, Dr. Evil on uh, Vaughn Miller, who was, uh, I believe he was a Super Bowl MVP last year. Amazing. What did I do for Halloween? I did some stuff for my kids. They're not really patient enough to sit for makeup, but we did make some masks. So my kids are both into Five Nights at Freddy's, but one of them really, really wanted to do a mask. And uh, I did document the process. I saw those pictures. That that was really cool. It was a good fun. So I made some, uh, I I sculpted it in clay and then made a silicone mold in order to make paper mache masks. Um, So I made a couple of masks and did one of those. And the other one was just a quick clay sculpt uh, where I used orange halves for eyes because I wanted these big eyes and I couldn't find a ball the right shape or size anywhere in any store that I wanted in a hurry. So I just I just cut up an orange and half, stuck it in there, <laughs> sculpted around in clay, and then I just painted paper mache on that and that worked a treat. That's, good. So that That's something we should talk about down the road because paper mache, I think, is a highly underrated material. It certainly is. Yeah, it is. In terms of, of theater stuff. Yeah. Uh, you well, can funny, do some really, really cool stuff with it. Funny enough, I saw today uh, a tweet that uh, Rick Baker put out about uh, paper mache mask that he was making, and he was telling about you know a book that he'd seen in Dick Smith's place in the seventies or something. I was like, oh, so I fully expect to see paper mache now get taken on wholesale. So maybe by the time we get round to doing that, it'll be old hat. And we'll have moved through. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it is. It's, it's amazing, and it's cheap, and you know, it's it's, it's lightweight. Oh, it's very it's comfortable cheap. to wear. You know, so that's that was the reason I used it, which is pretty cool. But um, that's pretty low tech. But I I wanted to, to discuss uh, more high tech matters on this one. Uh, a lot of people, I think, are worried behind me how digital things are changing stuff, and you know, they are changing things. I mean, one thing that occurred to me when we were talking about this uh, after we'd done it was um, this podcast is digital. <laughs> We wouldn't be able to do this really the way we did it without the, the effect of digital. So a lot of people moaning about necessarily or worried about digital things, but it's like, yeah, but it also opens up a lot of things. There's a lot of things you sure. can do that you couldn't do before because you had to do it analog. Analog worry and about digital. It. Yeah, people, there are certain things that you can do, you know, digitally that are just either prohibited or just not practical if they're, they're um, analog. Yeah, practical effects are analog. Yes, they are. And often captured on digital cameras, but uh, but yeah, it's just one of those things where I think um, there's a lot of worry about stuff, and people aren't quite sure how things are going to go. And the thing is, I've worked on a fair few shows where there's you know a lot of digital stuff, things like Game of Thrones and things like that. Sure, and, well, you uh, couldn't yeah. do Game of Thrones without without digital. It would be just prohibitively expensive to do. It would, but, it, but what's interesting is when you're doing the things that are like on a person. 
um, you know, the digital people are still quite happy when you've done a good thing like a good edge or you match the skin tone or, you know, they're not really looking for work, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. Because there's so much that's going to have to be digital anyway, like castles and like taking out aircraft or whatever but um we'll talk a little bit about that in a second because i want to get into that but uh, i did manage to corner steve johnson uh at the uh, at the show in birmingham last week uh, or this weekend just gone and i just wanted to play you a little bit of uh of his 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 thoughts on well a little bit on his book his his, his book rubberhead the first one that's going to come out soon um but mainly about how he feels about the digital side of things because obviously he's done an awful lot of movies in the 80s that were all practical and stuff and yeah. moved into the, the digital realm and see you know there's a lot of influence on those kinds of things but now he's kind of writing more so i thought he might be a good person to kind of ask about that so this is my uh, my little stolen five minutes with him uh, outside in the rain of a lobby of the angus hotel in birmingham <laughs> <laughs> surrounded by lots of people and chatter cool. but it was pretty clear uh, audio so uh, check this out i'm a backer of rubberhead oh so you're gonna get a book i'm gonna get a book fantastic five Here's volumes it's gonna be a three-year project it's gonna be amazing i'm excited about it not what anybody is going to expect and the, the the fearful thing the, the thing that's so scary to me is everybody's heard the rumors they've heard all of the stuff like i why did steve leave town why did he drop everything and disappear well, he had a sex change operation in Thailand. Oh, no, that's not what I heard. I heard the mob ran him out of town. He's hiding out in South America. All of these things, because you know what? The truth is never good enough, right? This is how rumors start. Yeah. But the truth is I got fed up of uh, the film industry. 30 years, I defy you not to do the same. And I started writing. And... Uh, my first volume is going to come out January 15th, Rubberhead Volume 1. I'm so fucking excited about it. So that's the real story. No sex change yet. No run out of the country by the mob yet. Until they read what I wrote about them in the book. Sure. <laughs> it's all good. So no, I mean, I'm like you. I, uh, I mean, to effects, I even worked for you a little bit on Blake too. I no came fucking out on way. Yes, sir. I inter in you interviewed me at, yeah, you interviewed me in London. Yep. Came out in Prague. It was fucking great. So I've been doing I'm uh, I'm 43 now. I've been doing it for 21 years. So I, I, I was yet? brought up, no, no, well, I, but I see your point. So I was brought up on 80s horror, things like Friday Night and shit, that's what, that's what fed my brain. So I'm yeah. into that. And I think the trouble is nowadays with digital stuff, people are panicking and they're worrying because they're looking to the past and I think there's almost a poison with nostalgia. I think people are nostalgic about things. Interesting, but why do you say, there's definitely a nostalgia, but what, what are you saying, why are you calling it a poisonous nostalgia? I think because there is a... Probably not everywhere, but there's like a hard line between people that want to be like practical, fold their arms, not even look at ZBrush. Right. And it's like a, the perception there's this digital side of things which are going to swamp things. And I believe it's that the things that make, make up effects good or that when people pursue things well, they're after a, a quality, a thing, like whether it be the translucency of silicon or that kind of stuff. Whenever people take on a new material or a new thing, they get frightened of the old stuff. Like the whole Jack Pierce thing with the not wanting phone pieces. You it's I mean? the way every business works. It's not just us. We have this kind of telescopic view at it, and we think, oh, my God, the sky is falling. It's just us. It's not. Anytime any business alters, anytime any business changes, it changes for a couple of reasons economically because a lot of people know how to do it all of a sudden. And 10 years ago or 20 years ago, two people knew how to do it. So suddenly there's a lot of competition, and what the competition in any business, not just makeup effects, does is it lowers the prices and it creates this incredible battle 
and then you add that to all the new techniques and the computer thing, the two cranes trashing into each other, it's just left with everybody screaming and running and going, what the fuck is next? What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And it's just caused a lot of turmoil in our business, and I don't really necessarily believe it. I mean, I'm a victim of it, too. I went to Costa Rica 10 years ago because I said, the sky is falling. It's like, I'm done with this. But guess what? I would probably be doing The Walking Dead right now and directing episodes like Greg Nicotero and sitting on 10 million bucks. But I didn't. I said, fuck it. I'm going to go try something else. And I still, you know, the interesting thing about Neil's convention today is all of these people, particularly Neil, are so passionate about it. And I know what that passion feels like, but I don't feel it anymore. But it's nice to be around it. It's what makes everything better, whether it's passion about new energy sources or art or whatever. I don't feel it for makeup anymore. I feel it for writing. I feel it for other things because I did it for a long time. And I defy anyone to do something, the same thing, even though it's different every time, for decade after decade. And then not finally say, you know what, I want to stretch myself in another way. I want to try something else because it's scary. Yeah. Because it's dangerous. I could fail or succeed. And that's what makes me want to wake up every day. Yeah. It's interesting. And that's kind of what I've been doing with the writing. And so we'll find out because probably... John Landis or John Carpenter or somebody is going to shoot me in the back. I'll be assassinated before Rubber one, Rubberhead 1 comes out. But I, I, like is a JFK it, thing. It'll be a conspiracy theory. Who did it? Was it left. John Carpenter or John <laughs> Landis? Well, John Landis, you know, Twilight Zone. Could have been John. No, but Steve was nice to John and Rubberhead. Yeah. John Carpenter's got to... Okay, I'm going off on a tangent. Yeah. By the way, listeners, I've forced our esteemed host to talk to me right now. We're standing out in the rain. And I am drunk. It's interesting. I have a, an analogy about how I believe digital side of things comes across, which works with writing. Is that uh, the calligrapher, when the printing press came along, the, ah. the calligrapher is shaking his fist at the, callig- uh, the printing press because he's right. pissed off to take his job. Meanwhile, Kindle has got a fucking crosshair on both of them. But at the same time, all of those things, they're just means of manufacturing something. At the end of it, both the calligrapher, the printer, and the Kindle, it's still the writer that gets his shit out there. So the trick is to not be the calligrapher, not be the writer, but actually be, uh, sorry, not be the printer, be the writer. Because that is that's the essence. That is a fascinating essence. way of looking at it, and I'm not even going to ask your permission, but I'm going to use that. You should totally use that. In a whole bunch of interviews from now on forever. Thank you. Because that's basically the nub of it, isn't no, it? No, it is. They were but, just ways of know, delivering but, the content. Right, that's but, all they but, were. But based on the way you deliver the content, it depends on, like, okay, look at this. A lot of people don't read anymore. Because we have such a short attention span for all the reasons we know. So a lot of people are clamoring for an audio version of, of Rubberhead. Yes. And we're going to do it, and that's going to be great. And it'll probably sell better than the book. But to me, it's not the same. Because when I read it, and that's what I already said when I've read chapters on podcasts before, they're like, oh, my God, it took us right there. It's like, we could read it, but we just see black and white and ink on paper. And, but it really took us there. But see, my problem with that is, like, you're supposed to take yourself there. Because when you write as a writer to a reader, you're basically, it's telepathy. Yeah. And it's your punctuation it's your paragraph breaks it's everything it's the design of your font it's everything that makes you really be able to telegraph your thoughts to the reader and that's your job as a reader but people are saying no I don't have time for that they don't want that job anymore no I want to listen to a book on tape and I'm like okay well that's cool I'll give that to you but you're really missing the point that's my feeling I think it's lazy yeah it's just too much work it is but it just keeps changing it's like I said today in our talk it's like I'm afraid to put one of those virtual reality headsets on because I know I'll never take it off you know what I mean? And yeah. no, who, who's ever going to read then? Digital technology is the vein through which the lifeblood of future entertainment is going to flow. There is no doubt about it, whether we like it or hate it. It yeah. is the way it's happening. Yeah. And this is just like you said, the calligraphers in the printing press, the buggy whip manufacturers and the gas pedal. Yeah. Obsoletism is built in. 99.9% of every animal, every plant that's ever lived on this planet has already become extinct. 
it's the way it works. It's the only way it works because it, it, it makes forward evolution. Things die and stronger things take over. And this is probably the best interview I've ever done. Was, no, that was good. We were on a roll there for a minute. We were on a roll. I was, I was just sucking it up. So this good. is my real fear that instead of having these terrible lapses of memory from being drunk and being high, at some point I will have them through losing brain cells like we all do in our yeah. old age. And maybe that really, who knows if it, which one of those three it is. Maybe it is the latter. This is fucking ridiculous. It's raining. We're in the middle of nowhere, England. And you got to listen to what we recorded tonight. Amazing. <laughs> will you use it? Yeah. Yes. Okay, you got it. That's a deal. That's why I have an expletive rating on iTunes. There we go. <laughs> That was kind of sexy. I like that. Yeah, Steve Johnson is the Keith Richards of the makeup effects world, but he just keeps on trucking. But did you um did you ever listen to the Creature Geek where he read a chapter from his book? I did not, but he's he's sent me stuff before. You know, he and I he and I have talked quite a bit um, back and forth, email and 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 stuff about writing, talking about publishing and writing and. It I, it was great. I'm 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 really glad that um, that he reached out to me to to talk about that stuff. Yeah, he he was he was pretty good. I mean, one thing I noticed about Steve is that obviously he's done makeup effects for so long, but he's also very kind of visionary about things. He does think about stuff a lot. And he yeah, does, he's you know, very, very articulate. Yeah, very and a very well rounded idea of how these things sit, which is why you know I was very pleased to speak to him about it. But um, but yeah, I mean the thing is. Like I mentioned in the in the the recording, there it's like there's a almost an unhealthy nostalgia, in a way, about things. And I don't mean you should stop dis, you know, stop liking '80s movies. What I think is that I I don't necessarily think the technical technological advancements need to be quite so feared. I think it's more a case of learning about them in a way because they're not necessarily going to so much replaced they're there in addition to and it's just whether or not you want these new additions to be part of your toolbox or whether you're going to hand that over to another toolbox do you know what i mean it's like there's i, I don't yeah well i know you i know separate. you know but i don't i don't know if any of our listeners realize that so much of of my background you know was was cgi before i decided i want to do practical stuff mm-hmm so how come? What did you do? What was your your thing when you were doing digital stuff? Um, I was uh, essentially a, a character animator, That's though. Me I, drinking, I was, by the way. I was, a, I was a modeler. I did a you know, wore a bunch of different hats. We had a small shop called Paradigm Ranch, and um, we did we did some previs work on Contact. Uh, we did some some digital onset playback work for my favorite. Martian, and um, I think our first big break was doing digital stuff for um, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves that was directed by, um, oh, who the hell directed it? Uh, <laughs> we can Google that later. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, no, it, it was um, Dean Cundy. It was a, that's why I is that right? Draw, draw blank, yeah, because Dean Cundy has you know made his name really as a DP. Mm, that's how I uh, know him. Um, directed uh, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. I didn't realize that. Uh, and the production designer uh, was a was a dear friend of mine, and they called us at the at the the last minute to to do some stuff, and it wound up being a, a real fun project. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's there's thing like you know there's a lot of different aspects. I mean, like I said about you know, oh, this podcast is digital, but well, it's a glib thing to say. What I mean is, it's in so many things in our life on a day to day basis. Um, it's almost like, especially if you were kind of I don't know under twenty years old, you probably don't even 
know of the world differently because you've always known email and, and Google and you know so sure I, I, I think when you can when you have a, an adult lifespan that's that, that that you know spans that time where you remember if you needed a piece of information you went to a library to now having it you're influenced by these things but you can also see the benefits of it but I think it's understandable that anything that kind of disrupts uh, an industry um, or has the potential to disrupt is going to make you know be a little fearful so I wanted to speak to people you know that are actually using it and, and figure out how they're using it and so we know what it is we need to understand rather than just sitting there going well i'm scared of it and it's going to take everything away it's like i don't necessarily think that's the case at all it's just you know a fear. it's like it's like being in turbulence and assuming we're going to die in a crash it's like no planes bounce around the sky all the time you know you could ask any pilot that that's the worst case scenario you're leaping to and i think people are a little bit like that with digital stuff yeah no i don't think it's going to go away but i don't think i don't think um practical is going to go away either mm-hmm. i think what's going to happen the way i i'm hoping things are going and there's some evidence to support it is that it'll become look you got you've got weta that's doing both digital and practical uh todd masters is is now doing a lot of digital work in-house and because he does a practical, they know how to how to marry the two together and, and blend them properly. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're going to see more hybrid hybridization of of practical and digital rather than we've got the digital guys over here doing doing their thing and we've got the practical guys over here doing their thing. It's going to become much much more closely aligned. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that makes sense because if you if you do something like if you make if you're you know. Uh, if you make animatronics or you, you your your company makes animatronics and you know for example you know an eye blink mechanism is going to be you know it's going to cost a certain amount of money it's going to cost a certain amount of time and it has to have a physical space it's you know if you want to have it on somebody's face it's got to sit slightly forward of their face because just the the physicality right. of an object that can't go inside a person's head um so things like that so you may decide oh we could sculpt the the eyes open and we'll just put a digital blink in for like the, the five blinks that you need to see in the film to believe that this character can actually blink we we can you know if we if we know the the script and it's been storyboarded we can say we'll not make an eye mechanism for this because we'll put the blink in digital you know that's, right. that, that's relatively straightforward and that's a sensible that that's an example of a sensible decision someone could make if they a know how much effort goes into making an animatronic blink mechanism and also okay how we could do it digitally rather than it and being i think like that's one of the lose one reasons the why other. the blending of the t- of the two two uh crafts makes so much more sense if you if you under if you each understand what's involved with the physical and and the digital making them work together is going to be so much easier mm. i think it's the learning curve or the fear of the learning curve that i think keeps people at bay because it's not i mean if you think about you know the problems that we're trying to solve with any kind of filmmaking issue they're the same whether you're doing it practically or digitally ultimately it's like we need this guy's head to come off or we need to have a clean clear blue sky but we can only film this afternoon or we need to have a thousand troops standing there but we can only afford 50 costumes i mean those are the sort of physical problems that you've got as a filmmaker stood there and so you're going to decide how you're going to overcome those things and that's the kind of the wind in the sails isn't it that's what pushes things along yeah and as some options become available to you digitally it makes sense to do those but not everything 
that, that that's digital has to be done digitally only if it's worth doing or it's better or it's cheaper but yeah just because time, you can doesn't mean you should yeah but but also not everything nope. falls under not every makeup thing falls into the digital category i think most of the digital work that happens is atmospheric or scenery or things that were sure. never going to be prosthetics anyway you know so well a blood splatter on somebody's face you know if somebody's head explodes you're not going to do digital blood on somebody's face as they're making you know they're because that just doesn't make any sense. Mm. Well, you might, but the thing is, you might, I mean, you have seen. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've seen lots of things. With I mean, it could, but that have on there, and I'm sure maybe the digital blood could get better. But the point is, if you were going to do digital digital blood, you still need to know what would look right. So there's a good chance you maybe have some dummy heads painted green that you splash blood on with a rig and then put those in as elements afterwards. You know what I mean? So there's still, it may not be necessarily on the set on the day, but there are still huge amounts that sure. are elements that are shot separately that are practical because frankly, what's the point in trying to figure out an algorithm to make blood splat correctly if you can just have some heads and throw some blood on it? It maybe you haven't got the time to do it on set on a person, but you could have their, their life cast or, or a head do you know what I mean? And, and, and sure, and that, they, that, that, that makes sense for film and television. But then there's the other aspect of theater, which yeah. is still going to be all practical. Mm-hmm. We haven't reached the level of technology to be able to have holographic CGI characters interacting with, with characters on stage mm-hmm. yet. Believably, and especially with intimate venues and, and so on. It's, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to uh, a meeting with the director this afternoon. For a production of the Toxic Avenger, I want to see that, which has a lot of blood and body parts, and the Toxic character is going to be foam suit and and lots of practical stuff. Can't do that digitally for for live theater. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it's probably worth look, uh, sort of talking about how people whenever they think of digital stuff they think purely are about digital replacements on screen replacing practical elements but i still think there's also a big but but no one's sort of looking at the amount of advances in practical manufacturing that you have as well with regards to digital like for example 3d printing and being able right. to produce physical objects that may have been you know manufactured digitally and obviously if you don't do any digital sculpting or you refuse to do any digital sculpting then maybe you know that's something you won't be taking part in but you don't have to do that you can learn how to do things like zbrush or mudbox and or even sculptress which is free um yeah you know just get your 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 hand in there just like if you refuse to pick up silicon when silicon came along and you you love foam latex so much you know you do the whole um you know stick to one thing it's like you've got to be able to move around with these things and, and change stuff so well i'm i'm using 3d printing i don't i don't have a 3d printer myself but i'm i'm involved with some projects that were using a lot of 3d prints mm-hmm. for uh museum exhibits for for theater pieces you know I, pinocchio's nose built into into the mask was was all 3d printed and then animated with rc controllers mm-hmm we're building all kinds of bits for a space for a for a prototype spacesuit that we're building for a museum exhibit. Mm-hmm. It's great stuff. So I guess what we should do is maybe just um, it, it'd be good to get people's feedback on this and see what they think about. It. But should we just thrash out some basic? Uh, you did like a list of pros and cons of CGI. And pros practical. and cons, kind of yeah, throw them practical up in the air and, and, and CGI. Hmm. And I'm and I'm sure I didn't didn't come up with everything. Pros for CGI. If you want to negate danger and safety, 
Mm-hmm. CGI is a great way to to do that if if there's there's any any danger involved. Um, you can create creatures and objects that don't exist in our world, or that would be prohibitively expensive to recreate. Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, for example, you know, I am unaware of real dragons you can fly. <laughs> um, you know, far away or non-existent environments. Um, convenience factor. Mm-hmm. There's all reasons why people would def- would would want to use CG, like you say. Yeah. The, 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 I think it's it, it, it's worth sort of taking um, a moment to think about you know the reasons why. I mean, a lot of people may bemoan it, but yeah, you got to think about yeah, but why are they doing it? Is it laziness, or is it because it's quicker, or is it because it's safer? Um, well, Rick Rick know. Baker once said he um, I don't remember who he was talking to, but he said CGI is an amazing tool and it's only as good as the artist behind it. Mm-hmm. I think if you have a very talented director and give him good tools to use, he'll make a good movie. If you have a crappy director and give him good tools, he'll still make a crappy movie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that's something we've said about makeup as well. Like you can do a bad makeup with good products. You know, it's still what you do with the things you have. That's well, strictly from an acting standpoint, if you act, ask an actor what they would prefer to perform with, you know, on a on a green screen stage, you know, acting to a, a tennis ball on a C stand, or to a, a fellow actor in a creature suit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the answer is pretty obvious. Cons of CGI: sometimes it looks fake. It's you know, there is no standard of measure across the board for quality control. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes it it looks like crap. It can be very expensive, uh, even even more so than than complicated animatronics. And it's not right for every situation. Just because you can do it doesn't mean it's necessarily a good thing to do. Uh, practical pros. I tell my students this all the time. Nothing says real like real. Just mentioned actors interacting with the physical world. I think actors will always prefer that. Was it um, who played Gandalf in, in Lord of the Rings? Oh yeah, Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen um, had a meltdown during The Hobbit because <laughs> he was reacting to nothing. Mm-hmm. It's expensive. Practical is expensive, but it's not as expensive as CGI. Practical cons, just at least in terms of of miniatures, um, they can sometimes look artificial if the scale is wrong. Because if you're going to blow something up or or flood the town, you know, water and fire don't scale really well so miniatures have to be of a certain size for the for the effect to look right mm-hmm. practical is not going to be right for every situation either and sometimes practical effects can be very difficult to do mm-hmm. in terms of of placement and rigging and, and all of those those things but for both cgi and practical effects you know you get what you what you give garbage in garbage out mm-hmm it's just a tool. Just a tool. It's just a tool. You do it's it only wrong. as good as the operator. Okay. So I think the question is really as to how, to what extent do you, because obviously there's lots of different things you can do. Like personally, for example, myself, I'm very interested in sculpting and I like sculpting, but I'm not interested in anima- an animation. So I, I don't want to make blades of grass move realistically or, you know, make fabric fold or that doesn't float my boat. I yeah. like to sculpt things. So for me, I think learning something like ZBrush is a sensible thing to do because it's the same. I'm trying to save this, solve the same problems by doing it digitally. It's just a different tool in the same way that someone who's never worked with plastiline before may go, oh, this is hard. I prefer clay. Plastiline's a little harder. 
you know what I mean? So there's going to be like a period of adjustment yeah. where you have a steep learning curve where you get used to it. But ultimately, the reason you're doing it is because you want to sculpt digitally um, as well as practically. I mean, this is the thing. I don't think you have to be mutually exclusive at this stage. It's kind of figuring out where you currently sit at the moment and, and what, what interests you. Cause I think it would be a, a foolish thing to go to panic and suddenly decide you need to become an animator now when you, you've never expressed an interest in animation. Do you know what I mean? Because I think there's so many aspects to what would be under the, the umbrella term digital that, right. you know, I think if you have an experience and skill in anything, whether it's styling hair or, you know, um, the, 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 how, do, how you wear the leather or the mechanisms of, of, of guns, if you're an armorer, all of those things, you know, if you had to make a digital version of like an arquebus or a flintlock pistol, you'd have to learn about that in order to recreate it digitally. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, modeled, a, I modeled a fully articulated uh, F-14 once, and it, it's a great looking model. And I guess you had to work you know, I, hard to I still out love CGI. Yeah, I love CGI, but I, I missed. You know, I'm a I'm a tactile person now, so I missed the physicality of being able to interact with the stuff I'm working on. Mm-hmm. When when you made that um, that model, you presumably had to study how that actually oh, yeah. looked and how it worked. Tons and tons of reference images, you know, from you know from manufacturing photographs to all kinds of stuff. To, so that every, all of the all of the the wing surfaces, everything would articulate correctly. Mm-hmm. So it's a case of, of of knowing the software well enough so that you're able to take that existing. So if you were going to do that model practically, you'd have to do the same amount of research. It's just you'd be using balsa wood and sure. and and you know acrylic sheet or whatever to do the same kind of effect. Ultimately, it still comes down from you know. There's two aspects to it. There's the, yeah. the, there's the hands-on with- experience of how you physically create the thing but there's also your ability even to with the software yeah even even with the software still you know, it's not we we use several different software packages um you know we'd model in one in one software we'd we'd animate in another we'd render in another it's you know so we had to deal with a lot of different different aspects it's not just one one shoe fits everybody mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think that's the thing. I think a lot of people get preoccupied with the knowing the software and, 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 and because perhaps they don't know that particular piece of software, they've written it off as a thing that doesn't apply to them. But what I'm saying is even if you did know the software, you would still – your work now would be to understand how an elephant moves or learn about like, – like anything. Do you know what I mean? So exactly. It, sure. It's still about it, – there's like a short-lived um, kind of learning curve. But once you're past that, it's a case of applying – new information that you go out and find. I mean, I've seen like those documentaries you see on those Pixar movies, you know, where they want to make a bunch of animals or insects or whatever. And they spend a huge amount of time researching how those things work. And it, I oh, just sure. Disney I just, used to bring, bring animals from the zoo into the studio and, and the artist would, would do figure studies on, on the animals so that they knew how everything moved and, and they would, would rotoscope stuff. That's why some of the animation looks so fluid because, it's based on on people actually doing it. Mm-hmm. I've had students say, "Oh, you know that that can't draw worth." I've had college age students who draw like a five year old and explain that because well, why do I need to learn how to draw when the computer does everything? And I just want to smack them because that's not the way the world works. No, this is not an opportunity still to get away with doing less work. Understand <laughs> how things work mm. to tell the software. 
what to do. It's not that intuitive. Well, it's some of it's getting getting to that point now, but you still you still need to understand the me- the mechanics of how things work in the real world in order to translate it properly into a digital one. Mm. Well, I do think that's the same with anything. It's like you know, like cameras. Like you can have a digital camera, and you can have things like Photoshop as as a as a kind of an example, where you could take a photograph that's maybe you know average, and you could make it look good by putting it through filters. And that's even now down to something like Instagram, where people can throw a vignette on something and drop the saturation and up the contrast, and you know make a reasonably decent photo out of a snapshot. Whereas before that was a mm-hmm. hugely complicated thing to do if you had to do that in a darkroom. So it makes that thing easier. However, that doesn't replace being in the right place and composing the shot correctly and, you know, knowing about photography, you know, because of all those things. If everyone now has Instagram, it's still going to be the people that know how to take a good photograph in the first place. They're going to still look better. It's kind of like an analogy I would give is like if you gave everybody six foot stilts. I'm still going to be shorter than someone that started out six foot five because I'm six foot taller, but he's six foot taller, but he was already taller <laughs> me to begin with. So I'm still not better than him. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's the thing with the, with the digital. I think people obsess about the software and then decide that they can't or won't learn it. But actually, I think even if you could, it's like, the download fix it in it post head, mentality. Yeah. But even if you could download it into your head, like Neo in, in the matrix, it's like, okay, so now you know how to use ZBrush. If you're not an inquisitive person who knows how to analyze and logically approach how things are constructed, it's still no fucking good to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) I know how to write, but I haven't written any novels because I don't know how to write novels. It's not because I don't know how to use a QWERTY keyboard. It's got nothing to do with that. Yeah, it's about story structure. Yeah, so I uh, I think part of what I wanted to sort of look at was... You know, I, I think if you if you if you are in a practical industry and you're worried or you are being disrupted by digital things, I think it's a case of knowing what it is you need to learn and not just make it this blanket kind of fear, this demonized fear of like, oh, this big computer is coming over the hill and it's going to steal everything. It's kind of like it's still something that people do <laughs> and you could be one of them if you know, and you don't have to yeah. necessarily drop everything and learn just to do digital stuff. I think doing both i know a fair few digital you know guys that do all kinds of digital stuff but they still have sort of hands-on practical whether it be sailing or photography or what they still do things do you know what i mean it's not a, sure like some digital babylon which which prevents you from engaging in the real world so i don't well, know change I is essential for growth mm-hmm. but i think i think that the thing that people want to know and what would act as a salve to the nerves is what are those changes specifically what is it that they need to do in order to make it a part of their lives without it just being this sort of thing that just just comes in and says well learn it or quit you know it's not like nazis kind of marching into prague and saying well this is how it's going to be now you know it's kind of like (laughs) um it does it isn't like that it's a gradual thing and the other thing is i think that um people uh, affect this things like zbrush or you know they they were started by people that, that were sculpting and trying to figure out a way to make a digital sculpting software it wasn't do you know what I mean? So you've got to have that kind of yeah, yeah. It was it was created by, by sculptors. You, you know, you've got, Photoshop yeah, you, was created by by photographers. Exactly. So you have that intent in the first place. So I think I think the thing to really focus on is your intent, and then you can figure out how you can learn things. And there's never been a better time to learn things, especially remotely with things like you know digital tutors or Plural Site, as it's called now. There's that website where you you know it's kind of like Netflix, but for everything computer. So if you want to learn how to use Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever they've got tutorials there and you know it's yeah i mean i think there's still a a a bit of that 
caveat, you know, of um, buyer beware, the caveat emptor, that there's a lot of crap out there and you just have to be careful that if you're trying to find a resource out there in the interwebs, yeah, be careful that you're finding the right stuff and that you are learning proper procedures and getting the tools you actually need to advance your your career in a direction that you want to take it because there is so much crap that can can take you down the wrong road and you'll wind up with that beer can in the face makeup but just digitally <laughs> but just digitally yeah <laughs> i think that's the thing i think people it becomes like a big echo chamber of worry and people will will start voicing concerns or worries and then they the only the only information they've got is 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 what people are, are worried about and it's it's like you know and then the thing about those those um those beer can and the eye things it's kind of like someone came up with that idea and did it and then other people started copying it, and then it it gained momentum and then when you see it you kind of go well i can see where you're influenced maybe to you you think this is an original thing but but i've seen thousands of those so it's like it almost just smacks of, of, of lack of imagination and i think there's a laziness in doing things which digital stuff will suffer from too but that's why i think um caring about it giving a fuck in the first place you know and working at it sure. and, and using it with skill is still going to be something that it, that matters. And I think that's definitely the case with digital stuff. I still think it – in a way, I just think if you're worried about it, maybe you should fucking learn it and show other people how it's done because, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, it, it's only as good as the people using it. And there's no Well, we all have to remember do. that we're artists and we're not supposed to be comfortable with – you know, because we're always looking to improve. Mm-hmm. And this is a great way to do it. Well, I must say, I mean, the reason that I'm thinking about all this as well is, is, is because I myself am pretty scared of things like ZBrush. Not because I'm worried about it as a medium replacing anything, but more that I personally don't know how to use it yet. No, it's not I an mean, easy I, software I to learn. The interface sucks. Yeah, I can open up and play with it. But depending on who you speak to, you know, it can either be uh, – it's like anything, isn't it? It's like you you might want to buy a camera and you could ask someone and they're like, oh, God, this is terrible. And you, it's like when you re- read reviews on Amazon, you know, you can find something that you know – you could find a book that you know and love and you'll find shit reviews for that book. You know, and it's kind of like sure. – So it, do, it does depend on where you ask and who you ask. And sometimes you just need to find the right person to lead you on uh, – you know, take your hand and lead you in and, and – and make it okay just to kind of get your teeth into it and then you can start learning it yeah. making it yourself and as, and as and as awkward as the interface may be the more you use it the less awkward it's going to start to feel mm-hmm. and then you can start doing things with it yeah yeah and there are some great tutorials out there for zbrush yeah because it really is a, an amazing software it is and I, I like i say i myself i'm like i'm terrified of it because I've tried cracking it a few times and I know there's like a kind of a dip that I've got to get past. And once I get past that, it'll be fine. So this isn't a case of like me saying, Oh, I've mastered ZBrush and I'm, I'm evangelizing about it. I'm actually saying I'm fucking terrified myself. <laughs> I'm shitting myself, but I, I kind of need to know how to do it because like, I think the way I look at it is kind of like, if you were going to write like a resume or a CV and send it out to 50 companies, you would be an idiot to sit there with a calligraphy pen and write that shit out 50 times. Because if you notice there was a slight error or you wanted to change the font or you wanted some with images and some without and some with different information on it's a really long-winded way of doing something. Yeah. 
Whereas if you type it up on a computer in Word or something, you can make various changes and iterations and you can update it. And that data is, is, is constantly plastic. And then when you're happy, then you can output it as a hard copy or save as a PDF or something. And it's kind of like solid. And But then if you want to change, it's like you don't have to draw it all again. You just, you know, make those changes and, and save another version of it. That level of, of ability to constantly change things. If you could apply that to a sculpture, that's got to be something that's worth learning. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and I think that's, that's ultimately the thing. It's like, I still give a shit about sculpting. I really care about sculpting. So because of that, I kind of have to learn in the same way. If you're a writer, I know, you know, there are some people that maybe still like working with post-it notes and doing it that way. But that, that, <laughs> if you could type it up, that'd be great. <laughs> no, I, I totally don't. <laughs> you're, you're saying things and I'm, I'm, I'm picturing how I, how I lay out stuff with post-it because some of the, some of these, programs for blocking out how to how to organize things i'm i'm take me longer to learn the software than it would for me to write out my thoughts on post-it notes and rearrange them on a, on a whiteboard mm -hmm. but i think over time that'll become more intuitive i mean if you think about all the apps that we have on our smartphones you know the ones that are most used and most loved are the ones that are very intuitive and very easy and I think I think there's there's certainly a case to be made. I don't think ZBrush will look anything like it does in ten years' time. You know, probably not. I was back, uh, speaking uh, this weekend to uh, to a guy called Goran, who's a Swedish makeup artist, uh, makeup effects artist, really really cool. We were talking about three D printers, and he was talking about um, which I hadn't heard of. But there's there's a, there's ZBrush and there's ZBrush Core. Have you heard of ZBrush Core? No. And it's basically like a stripped down version of ZBrush because a lot of things in ZBrush are there for animators. But a lot of people using ZBrush don't want to become animators. They just want to sculpt an object. So it's like a kind of a, it's a it's a cheaper version of the software, and it's kind of cut down. It's like that's a sense. Do you know what I mean? That's a sensible idea. And it, within uh -huh. ten years, I'm sure there'll be lots of other iterations because what happens is people start doing things, and new industries get born out of the new software because it permits people to do things that weren't a job 20 i mean like 30 years ago no one was a web developer because that wasn't a thing and now lots of people are web developers because it is a thing so you know it's it's one of those things where they kind of create new industries um and there's certainly a case to be made for you know accepting that the the idea of sculpture is always going to exist i think people are always going to sculpt so it's not a sure it'll just become like, are you a digital sculptor or a or a sculptor, sculptor. Or well, you Whether do both. <laughs> yeah, there's, there will be there will be no no delineation. Yeah, I don't think there needs to be a delineation. I think it's perfectly right that you should do both because in order to sculpt, you have to understand shape, form, and all that kind of stuff. And that's the same whether it's a stylus or or a lump of clay. Yeah. Um, but I think you know technology will make it more intuitive and and less of an issue. So it might be a bit of a pain to learn now, but then <laughs> even if you did master. Um, ZBrush, it's still a lot of work to master clay. So, you know, if you were starting from scratch, I was speaking to a friend of mine ages ago, a guy called Simon Weber, who uh, we started around in the industry at the same time, and he's very uh, practical based and was a fantastic sculptor. But he's always really good at designing, and then gradually he made the shift and he kind of uh, took some, took some time out and learned ZBrush. And now, you know, he does a lot of stuff. He works for Legacy Effects, and he does a lot of things um, now with, with ZBrush. And it's just like second nature. It's just like breathing to him. But he was always a good designer anyway. So I think it's a case of learning these tools just allows you to do what you want to do, you know, without having to 
build armatures for things or you know hiring a, a, a bunch of polystyrene to block out a 50 foot dragon you can actually start sculpting right. these things in your on your in your lap you know um yeah and then scale it up and print it yeah exactly what which has happened i mean i've seen that at millennium effects years ago martin Rizad, uh, martin Rizard uh, is um sculptor he sculpted something like that like a creature and they had it machined up in in styrene at a, a place somewhere up north where they machine car body parts uh you know the forms they they milled it out of a big block of styrene and then it got sent back to the workshop in several pieces it was assembled and then they skinned it with some clay and then molded it but the bulk of the shape and the sculpt was approved and manufactured digitally before anything was made you know steve wang's doing a lot of his installation works uh in a similar fashion mm-hmm and he's not a bad sculptor. <laughs> no, not 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 too shabby. So I think is I think what we're trying to do really is kind of make the idea, and I'm saying this to myself to convince myself too. I think the the idea is to make it not so unappealing. You know, the act of learning it. There is going to be a steep learning curve. All right, you it's and I need be... to have a, a ZBrush challenge, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Well, I was speaking to a guy called Wayne Humphreys, who's a friend of mine who uh, was at the uh, the event, and, and we kind of made this little pact that we'd kind of help each other out on this because he's learnt ZBrush and is pretty good with it, and uh, I, I think he he's got that kind of like nice calm wisdom about him that 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 is equal to my fear and may cancel each other out. He may <laughs> be my guru. I had a similar friend years ago that taught me Photoshop, and there was a moment where like a thing clicked in my head. I was like, oh, I get it. I don't understand it all. But I now understand enough to just get on with it and feel okay about it. And that's what I'm seeking for ZBrush, I think. And I'm, I'm hoping maybe when we've nailed it, we'll we'll do, you know, podcast on that and try and push that out there. Because, again, I think, especially if it's something like Sculptures, which is free, it's free software. This stuff is available for nothing. Um, you know, I think it's a case of getting it out there and, 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 and making it not such a fearful thing. Of course, this podcast is for my benefit. I'm saying this to myself. There are people listening to this going, oh, you brush all the time. What are you worried about? <laughs> you big ass. <laughs> all right. Well, for 2017, we're going to get up to speed on ZBrush, both of us. Okay. Yeah. Done. Okay. So earlier this week, uh, I took a trip to Elstree Studios to have a chat with John Screenwriter at Lifecast, which is a uh, practical and prosthetics effects company uh, based at the studio. And also Life 3D, which is their digital offshoot. And it's spearheaded by John's son, Tristan. So uh, it's a good example of like a positive example of, of how digital technology has influenced uh, practical effects. Um, there's a fair bit of background noise in this recording because this is filmed in a real working studio. So there's kind of uh, the sound of work happening around the outside. But it doesn't disturb anything too much. But uh, just be aware that this is the sound of a functioning studio. So check this out. Okay, so I am in North London. I'm in Borehamwood. And I'm coming up on Elstree Studios, which is my destination for today. And I'm going to be speaking to someone that's no stranger to L3 Studios. I'm going to be speaking to John and Tristan Schoonrod at a company called Lifecast. And they're based up here at L3 Studios. And they specialize in all kinds of makeup effects. Obviously, Lifecasting is a big part of it. But also, they do a lot of digital stuff with regards to scanning and actually capturing uh, 3D likenesses and physical shapes using the scanner. And then working in 3D. Uh, so I wanted to talk to them about 
how they do what they do, why they do it, and uh, just basically get a bit more information on the state of play with regards to life casting. And I think John's a very, very good person to speak to about that because he's been life casting for a long time and he's done an awful lot of a lot, an awful lot of life casts. And I think between him and Tristan, uh, they know better than most uh, about how how the act of life casting uh, is used in uh, makeup effects and prosthetics but uh, there's not many people who go deep into the digital side of that with regards to capturing likeness and uh, using the technology to create 3D scans so that's what I want to talk to them about uh, and maybe even get my head scanned uh, and try it out for myself and see, uh, see what it's like Yeah, looking nice at Lucas stage, I love the view. <laughs> well, I just look out and says George Lucas stage, it's brilliant. Yeah, I should probably get a photo of that actually. Probably one for the house take pictures of everything around the studio. In case I see something I'm not supposed to see. Ah, no, alright. Yeah, take it outside the door now, it's brilliant. So, coffee's on the way, whoops. No worries, man. The life casts into ZBrush is scary, isn't it? Yeah. I still, I've got it, but I've not learned how to use it yet. I'm a bit nervous of it. It's still because so. I've just got to get. It's, yeah. a, it's the learning curve Practice. of learning the, the interface. Because Brendan's picked out quite well. Oh, oh really? Yeah. 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 It's been interesting in digital stuff for a while. Mm. Though, yeah. I remember him doing something on Based. Alexander the Great. Oh, was it? like a superhero animation or something. Yeah. Just for He's fun. good, Brendan. Yeah. He's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. No, he's, he's a lovely bloke. He did a very good Spielberg uh, bus force because. We've been commissioned by Elstree to do a Hitchcock because he was here. Right. That one in the BFI. Uh, a George Lucas because of the studio, George Lucas's affiliation with it. And then a Spielberg as well. Except that the BFI, I thought they were going to BFI, but they wouldn't have some about British people, British directors, so they just wanted a Hitchcock. So I thought we should do a Kubrick. Well, like a portrait bust. Yeah, we've got. Have you seen the Hitchcock downstairs in the Spielberg? No. Did you take it in, no. Can we get some pictures of those later? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Once you've yeah, yeah, yeah. done. Because I'd yeah, like to nice. put tonight. I'll do a blog post to go with this. Yeah. So take, only things that you say I can I think I don't twice, want to inadvertently. They're, they're slightly. Because they're bust. They're slightly larger. Okay. The life. Just, I don't know. What percentage it was? It's quite nice. It's just on my attached making, you know. Yeah. Figuring them up, literally. I don't want to <laughs> Since I, last time I really saw you was you were doing IMAT stuff, and I think I've missed two the last two. Normally because we're busy, but I'm doing your sculpt gel. Um, yeah, stuff. I ended up doing lots of sculpt gel. You're really good at that. Well, in a way, it's a cheat because the thing is with sculpt gel, I don't have to prepare anything in the It's great, isn't it? I, I love it. I can just cheating. do it. Huh? Cheating. Cheating, exactly. Good. It is yeah. cheating. It's not, but it's, why is it cheating? I mean, I did a, a I really worked well a zombie uh, video. And I just gave them cheekbones, I gave them brows, and blended it all in. I did the old Dick Smith glue and lots of cotton wool, and then oh, they slip it over it, tore it all back, and yeah, all that stuff. Fantastic for forming, and then it just falls off afterwards. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. There's a um, stage down there, which is gone now. Oh, it's probably over there actually, where the car park for Tesco's is, and uh, it's the Ewok Village, and it's boiling in there, all in t-shirts and hot. Got the little lad up there, Tristan. He's up on 
it's right up in the air. So it's up, upstairs. So where Tesco's is now is where. Yeah, where the car park yeah. was. There's a big where stage. Where the York Village was. Yes, yeah, in the big in the stage. And uh, he he standing there. Hans Sailor walks upstairs. Harrison Ford looks at him, or gives him the wink. He's got all the gear on. C three PO's in a, one of those chairs being picked up by all the people. Yeah, yeah, you know he's the king and everything. And it's mainly because all the roofs were covered in um like grass, yeah. which is really growing, and it smelled really like. Because it was a lot of Moroccan leather, camel leather, it smelled that smell. Yeah. Of when you go downstairs, and in those days, moon boots were a big thing. Mm-hmm. Put your moon boots on your thermals, go out, there's a blizzard out here. In fact, there was a whiteout, I was up in a, up this end, and I had to get to the plaster shop, and I couldn't see anything. It was in a water, I couldn't, there's a blizzard, I couldn't see, snow was up to my knees. And uh, I saw this little tiny light, which is, I knew was the plaster shop, gave me my bearings. Mad, isn't it? On a film set, a tropical alien planet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And next minute, you're walking around in a busy outside oh in Bourne Wood. And do you remember this? Can yeah. You remember oh, yeah. He yeah. winked at me. He winked at him. Yeah. Gave him a real oh, yeah. daddy wink, yeah. you know. All right, kid, one of those. I can't believe it. As yeah. Han Solo. As Han Solo. Oh, yeah, he was eight. That's amazing. Yeah. Eight I mean, old. if you're eight years old and you see Han Solo, that's. And now he's working on the edge of figure in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but it's, isn't it a big circle because then now you've got Robin building the Batmobile the new Batmobile that was in which one was that the, the big chunky thing got the uh, and then you've got him working on Star Wars as well wow my very first job in the studios was in that workshop there that was his Atkos chair really and uh, I came in there to do a film called Green Ice with Brian O'Neill at the same time in the other half they were doing concept for the Dark Crystal. No way. So the Castle thing was all being built. And, um, oh yeah, they were doing stuff for that. And then I left here after that film, because I wanted to be on The Great Muppet Caper, which is in there as well. And the guy said to me, a guy called Sid Whitlock said, Far you, just come in, go to Pinewood. If you go to Pinewood, they are, um, it's not like you're working on one film. You're work, you, you're working on the whole studio. It's of course called an old style studio. Mm-hmm. So in the morning you're working on one film, after tea you're working on another one. And if that was the case, so I went to Highwood and I was working on um, Fewer Eyes Only. In the afternoon, a bit of Clash of the Titans. A bit of Watching the Woods for Overtime that night. And I think, um, and um, Clash, yeah, Clash of the Titans, Watching the Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah, in fact, there, were, uh, there was actually the monkey that kind of, oh, I said the monkey to crack on, that cracks up. A guy called Izod was building that, and I was, you know, getting there with that, and um, oh, it was amazing. It was just amazing. Wow. We had to, in those days, they kind of did everything. It was different yeah, way yeah, of yeah. doing it, you know. It's weird, because when I, I remember seeing an advert for, with Clash of Titans, the one that Harry yeah. Potter did the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went to see that at the cinema, and that was like the first time, like really, like wow, this is, you know, full of creatures, like my first proper yeah. creature movie that I'd seen. And I now, I went, what year did that come out? Eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. You know. Well, so, I've got yeah. a photograph of me holding Maggie Smith's head. You know, it falls off that great big statue, which is only really this big, and I've got the head, and it was all, you know, made to look bigger. And I had to do a repair on that, and then I worked on the crack, and then I worked on. Uh, Bits and pieces, you know, yeah, on the yeah. sets that made the sets. Yeah. Uh, Incredible. Oh, I'll tell you what the other one was. I first walked in there, it was the uh, Dragon Slayer. <gasps> oh, I remember going in and first oh, time yeah. poking Phil Tippett's little dragonettes and they were foam. <laughs> in and between they, takes. And <laughs> I went, <laughs> that was amazing. Well, I also went in there. Thanks. 
and I remember going in there and seeing um, a huge dragon blowing out flame. Wow. It's absolutely, even to this day, it's still the most stunning thing I've ever seen. And then CO2 afterwards, in case it didn't caught fire. Mm-hmm. So it would go <clears throat> with the flames and then shh with the CO2. Amazing. And I just thought, if someone sort of transported you here in the middle of the night in your bed and you just woke you up and saw that, you'd really think this is a real... So, and it, the flames were really like they're 30, 40 feet of flames are wow. nearly burning us, sort of thing, you know. It was fantastic. Amazing. There's a lot of creeping around. And when I first got to this, back to this set, back in here, what was it the first time I was in here? So it blurs a bit. I went I used to go into the sets when everyone went to tea. And the set just down there by the canteen, I walked in, I could smell gunpowder. And then I, like bullets, you know. And then I saw this old hut snow, right, I walked in, it was a bar, there'd been a massive fight, spent bullets everywhere, broken glass, and it was when he went, shh, Raiders. You were on the Raiders set? It was on the Raiders set of, oh my god. He did that. And then, there was another set up here, stage five I think it was, and I walked into this room, in my tea break, and there was all these little houses, and buildings, like the model buildings, and it was in like a pyramid thing, and this guy walked in, I thought, who's that guy, because he's... He's obviously dressed like an Arab, but he looks obviously like a, a European sort of guy, Caucasian guy, whatever. And it was Harrison Ford. It put the old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The stuff. I know, I know. But only when you, I saw it after, pieced it all together. Scanning, I say. That's what, that's what we're talking about. Well, a bit of both, really. I mean, I'm interested. I mean, obviously, you've, you've been live casting for a long History, time. History, yeah. How many, how many, how, how long have you been live casting? 79, 1979 I started to, well i actually done live cast before then, but not really, not as a professional level. My live casting really kicked off, I'd say, with Nick Maley on... I was going to say, who taught you? Where did you learn the little? Well, <laughs> 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 I, we had port cabins like this on Life Force, and uh, Graham Freeborn, bless him, God bless him, he, um, he was the live caster, and I was came in to be the making plaster person and I walked into a room for a body cast and there was a really long table and there was about 300 mono beakers one with a small measure of alginate one with a small measure of glycerine one with a small measure of water so what they did they alginate glycerine passed it alginate glycerine passed it what's the glycerine for? to slow it up uh-huh. some, yeah and uh, because in those days all the alginate you could buy was from um Dental, carbex stuff. Yeah, it? yeah, it was from the from from the industry of dental, dental, dentistry. What they called it. Yeah. Anyway, um, it, it, you had to go to them. You had to go to a place up in um, in London. And Cotterals. Cotterall. Yeah, yeah Cotterall. Cotterall. Right. Exactly, and that's where we got our um, other stuff from. What's the other stuff? Um, ac- ac- um, oh God, it can't remember. Brain's gone. Um, acrylics. Yes. Acrylic slashing, which we use for heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In those days, and. Um, so it was two and a half minutes, one and a half minutes, and really cut, and had to go to cold water. Um, not the stuff that's made for live casting, you know, seven minutes of two long, at least four minutes. Yeah, it was all dental casting. Yeah, so dental, dental supplies. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's how it was. So I just, well, I, I absorbed all this, worked with them, did it all like that, and then I suddenly started to formulate my own ideas, thinking, give me a bucket. Because I mix, I know how to mix up large amounts of 
anything, and then we just go like that. So when it came to the very end, we did the full live cast with a guy called Sean Mayling, laying down. Their plan was having laying down in um, like a wall around him, flood it like a like a like a pool, have him lay in it, and then do a top off. There's a lot. To, Nick was really in for experimentation, I tell you. And uh, we did that, and the poor guy was really shivering because mm. it full body that cold going on. Not necessary now, obviously. There's symptoms as well for that. And uh, I remember we had to lift it all off him like a big sarcophagus thing, and it stuck to his pubes. It stuck to his because they were all <coughs> going to. This is what I I gave up the idea of using fasting because they didn't like it. And it doesn't work, and the body melts, the hairs, the hair stick up. Yeah. Went to Nivea. And they didn't, and, he, and so I remember uh, Bob Keane had to put his hand in and literally cut a, a lump out and dropped, sort of dropped out of it, leaving this big hole in the in the, in the algae. But it worked, <laughs> yeah. it worked for those life force figures. Yeah, yeah. And he was sculpted in, they sculpted his bits in, but unfortunately not as big as he would have liked because he was quite. <laughs> like, he going to sculpt them back. He was quite an endowed yeah, boy, yes, <laughs> he was. He was a really nice man, though. And, but we, we were experimenting, okay. really. So then, but at that point, they suddenly go, John's got a point, get a bucket. Well, I mix up the silicon amounts. But, you know, as it's progressed, we've got silicon now, we've got um, all kinds of different t- grades of uh, algae. You know, the fibres came in, didn't they, as well? Yeah, there's another yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, safe yeah. with the dust and all the rest of it. Um, but it's pretty much how it started, except, and I've adopted the American's idea, a lot of it all over with the algae, split the back up, pulled them out. Yeah, get a nice no seams. Yes, yeah. yeah. We used to do a back, plaster back, alternate front. It does work. Um, it's not any better for them. It takes as much time, same amount of time. But I think me and Matt Smith, we went off to do um, to what's that country, Romania, to do a Highlander film, and there was a very gung ho stunty guy. He's like, "Hey, you guys are fast, and you've got the record for the fastest live cast. Let's go for the fastest you can do. Just let me have it." So we did, we just let him have it, and it's bosh, bosh. And if you think about it, is algae takes four minutes, plaster bandage takes four or five minutes, should be about eight minutes. So I had so I ran about 12 minutes, we did eight minutes on that one. Right, and back. It's perfect. All over, no, all over, front and back jacket. Yes, what I mean. Yeah, the, to do, yeah, to do that. To, to do that, yeah. And then got him out <laughs> in eight minutes from start to finish. There you go. <laughs> that's pretty good but yeah I mean I, I still get a massive kick out of it I know Tristan here's always you know he's much more you know he doesn't always enjoy it as much as I do do you nah yeah that's why he's, I mean thankfully that's the reason we got the three big scanner in a way yeah because yeah. he saw the light a while back now early days Tristan saw that scanning is a good way forward and it bloody well is as you can see from the results of that yeah, yeah. head cast there. I mean, we had an actor in here, a very famous actor, and he wouldn't have a live cast done. And we were able to offer up, well, we can 3D scan him. <gasps> really? And it kind of helped everything along. Plus, the information that comes from 3D scanning goes to visual effects. Mm. So any effects they want to do with him, they can do. In as much as we've done that with, um, with a dog, didn't we, for Puppy Monkey Baby. And we scanned the dog. And we sculpted the dog. And then we gave the information to visual effects. So it's, it's two, it's three different things. There's one is you've got the um, the stuff on, you've got the stuff on on the data. You've got uh, something you can print out, and you've got something you can send on to the companies so they can do what they like with it after that. And that's yeah. massive for them. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's just the thing. I think it's that integrating of things because a lot of people talk about the technology being replacing practical stuff, but I think there's there's a lot of technology in materials and there's a lot of technology in physical things like a scanner. Mm. So you can produce a physical object, you can print. It's mm. it's just done in a different way. Mm. Yeah. But the same information, like say, can then go to visual effects, yes. rather than it just being, oh, visual effects do that stuff, and by their benevolence, yeah. they may give yeah. us a three D yeah. copy. Yeah. It's up to people, like yeah. practical people, to learn and scanning. And, and and it's that. just so precise. Yeah, so precise. So precise. So tell me what what the benefits would be of a, of, of scanning a face rather than just a life cast instead of. There's no uh, algorithm that drags your face down. Yeah, it's way too really old. Especially if you've got a tubby face. Which I have. <laughs> yeah. If you're really slim, it, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Eyes open, though. You scan with the eyes open. Yeah. And you can um, hold an expression yes. for a few minutes rather than having to try and hold an expression for a long time. Yeah. Although I'm good at coaching people to hold it. Like one of the things for Kingsman, the guy pulls a pin out of a grenade in between his legs. Yeah. So he actually casting the straw in his mouth, pulling that face. It came out nicely to the live cast, and it worked as the dummy that got blown up afterwards with a pen in his mouth. But with scanning, and it's so much, I mean, we can, uh, Tristan flew to New York, very another famous actor, well, we could say Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. films for um, a, a new film, Life, and uh, scanned him, took 12 minutes, came back, got the body printed up, made his flying harness, which was fits perfectly. Yeah. And voila. You didn't have to clean a hotel room no, and put plastic no. down first. Oh, I could have <laughs> six people there. And, yeah. Yeah. Great example being, we went to Shepparton, Sasha Baron Cohen for Alex, and we took six people, loads of stuff, sheeted the room up, because we had to do a couple of casts, um, about three or four layers of polythene. Uh, so it's an hour of prep, an hour to clean up, and about an hour for the two live casts to go on. Um, and But while, while that was going on, Tristan scanned him in 12 minutes. And the print-off's um, brilliant. It's actually, it's my algorithm. I love it. Um, but you do a little one like that. It's perfect. Standing there, you can clearly see it's just like a perfect print of him. And that went off to visual effects because there's a bit where he's pumping up and down, I think, on some sort of railway machine or something mm. like that within the film. And that went for that. The scanning went off to them. And the other thing went off to his harness. Again, for him to be in the position where he's flying around or something. So... There was, a, there was a three, but we never really actually needed. Although, special effects needed to hurry up on the harness. So that's where the live cast part of it went. We didn't even give the cast out, but we just gave them the mould. Yeah. We? They took the mould straight off us. And uh, they went into the harness, which they could then use. Okay. But we just, we've had a little bit of a hold up sometimes with our printing, because the guy that does it is brilliant, but he's been very busy on some right. big films, like Star Wars. And um, hence we've got our own CNC machine now, so we don't have to wait on for some, some of the smaller things that we do. Sure. It's definitely, it's another tool, it's just like having the right brush in your makeup kit, or the right colour, or the right, you can do it with that, but it'd be also, it's an additional, mm. that's a very good analogy, but it, it's it's definitely, they go hand in hand. I mean, I'll never stop live casting, because I love it, you know, and getting it through place, the process. Still, there's still some things you think we can live cast that. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a great bond. It's going to die out. It will die out, as in, in as much as, I mean, certain people that do. It's all down to the printing, isn't it? We've got mm. a slight, we've got a slight heads up on that. Once you you walk out of the room after a big live cast, an hour or so later, there's a there's your cast. 
and get on with it. Otherwise, but once you've got all the printing in process, it could be the same amount of time and less must much less mess and fuss mm. than that. Well, you'd be happy while But the scanning's you know the cool I mean? thing. Yeah, you know, well, in, you can set the printer up and go and do other yeah, things and come exactly. back. So it's it like, might take 12 yeah. hours, but those yeah. 12 hours are worth like yeah. When Silicon came along, if I had to go off to another country, I didn't have to go to another country, Algina, and put a plaster in within an hour or so, go to the shrinkage, and then carry this lump back. I go off to another country, silicon mould them, nice lightweight moulds, mm-hmm. I've cast mould cast, and bring that back and then put it in. So I wouldn't have to worry about shrinkage. I'd have a silicon, that was a, the good thing about silicon. Yeah. I quite like silicon as well. Yeah, yeah I, do. That. That, I do. That, that's, that's good for car, uh, life casting. It doesn't bring your face Yeah, it's lighter. No, yeah. Still you, yeah, you can put less on because it doesn't yeah. tear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worry. It takes a bit longer, but it's relaxing as well. The people seem to don't... Because when you hit them with this cold loud stuff running down polish all over your face, yeah. there's an instinctive reaction of people that they go through some various layers of mood and stuff. And I've had it done by Tristan and Robin, and I had a full head done on the Wolfman. And I thought, my God, you know, this is something else. It's something it really is. And I used to do this thing once I knock on the mould, say, All right, and there was my little thing, my stupid. They did it to me. I'm never doing it again. It's like, bong, it's like being inside a drum, which is really loud. So I'm never doing that again, tapping on the head and saying, are you all right in there? Okay. So I just learned that that's why we shouldn't have it done. And, um, I agree. know what people go through. I think it's a very good thing to do. So slowly we can see the demise of life casting, basically, because you think it's more, in the same way that we've stopped printing prints on, or taking photos with negatives, because we have digital cameras. Yeah, yeah. And gradually we change how we use them. Exactly. Because the new material... Like when, when digital camera first came out, there was a big... Sl- there was probably yeah. a very slow adoption... Yeah. And probably a lot of people whose entire careers based around printing were very against it. Yeah. And then gradually that's eroded as more yeah. and more people find the convenience of it. And then yeah. now everyone's got a phone on their camera. Yeah. So I mean, the idea of saying that digital photography is yeah. a bad thing is a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. Whereas 20 years ago, it would have been like, whoa, you, you know what I mean? So mm. it's quite interesting. I think the same will happen with live casting. Tristan's uh, just done some very nice work for a famous artist. And their children, they're beautiful. Uh, but he did live cast the hands and the feet just to get that extra bit of detail didn't yeah you? it's not very good at hands and feet not the CNC is it like no although you could have printed them separately but even you need a, a different type of um, scanner yeah I mean we're not we're not um, Stan Winston's massive um, workshop full of expensive £200,000 printers and scanners that they've got I mean, there's scanners out there where you could get a, uh, some people I know, uh, Shepperton, FBFX, they get, uh, they've got a shoe commercial they do, where every time they change shoes, they get another football and who dives across, then 80 cameras will go off. Mm-hmm. Bing, done. Yeah. You know, if we've gone, we can't quite get the action for that with our scanning. Yeah. But at the same time, our scanning's pretty much cutting edge. It was the same scanner that did Obama, wasn't it? Yeah. It still hasn't got still, a lot of it's incredibly mobile. Yeah. I mean, I've been uh, on Game of Thrones. That will we'll, we'll do, you know, uh, the makeup costume. And the, the, throughout, the, if we're filming for a week, throughout the week, they will they will scan pretty much everyone, and they'll stand in front of the thing, and they'll be like fifty or sixty, like, yeah. like 5D mm. ca- Canon cameras, all rigged up. How yeah. much does that cost? They go set it up. That's, that's the price. You know? it's the and it's beautiful. It's and the guy just stands there, yeah. take a photo, and bam, they've got all this information. Yeah. But they've got to set it up. They need a room. Yeah. They've got all the stuff. You can just roll up, like you say, yeah. you can nip to New York or whatever, mm. and do it. 
Yep. So it does give Computer, you that kind of yeah. and, and then you can just email it across. Email it. <laughs> and yeah. Print yeah. out the information. Yeah. It still costs you. Basement's about 30 grand now, isn't it? It's about 20 grand with the laptop. Yeah. And then our the, the latest printers, the printers, latest printers got a few bob, and um, and then the the software we used to um, uh, buy it, and then but and they 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 love our work, and we've got a bit there. But now it's it's which year, isn't it? You've got to give yeah. them a yearly um, subscription, like and they they're working out every time there's an update. Okay. So um, think about that. And the printers are getting so. From what they were. So work. good now. But this is the thing. I, think I bought that off eBay for a grand. Really? And for the last printer. Yeah. yeah. Four, I think four years ago it was thirty grand. Yeah. Wow. It's a bit like the first video machine you bought. Was it in the you bought first DVD? DVD thing. About a grand. Yeah, about a grand. And so <laughs> now you can't. They're checking them in skips, aren't yeah, they? But I think. But yeah. But the thing is, it's it's the it's the it's the the, the, the Knowing how to use it—that's the barrier, I think. Yeah. Oh people God! Big learning curve there. People are afraid of it, and things like ZBrush and stuff. Lot of late nights. When he big, first big, got his first British yeah, instead, it's working, Dad. Dad. Oh. <laughs> and then it was like there were these risers because if you've got their arms out, yeah, they, they start with this printing structure. You got these support structures, you see. That's why the powder printer's so good. because yeah. it doesn't need it because it's, it's, it's in, in the powder. It's in the powder. Yeah. Right? yeah. And then you just dust it off like a yes and then just crack it out and then yeah. all, all that stuff that's left over is used again yeah you just sip it for a it, it didn't get it's fixed. the resin yeah. that's yeah, you were saying so over here it's like a grand or something for yeah that, it's a thousand pound for a litre nearly for a litre. four litres oh for four litres that's well I suppose how much does it do though quite a bit yeah you'll make your money yeah it's and we just, are we're it's a barrier though isn't it if you're, like, yeah. if you're just Could curious you? to start you know yeah like, You've got to shell out a few grand just yeah, to make yeah. it work. And then it oh, yeah, the thing good. about what we did as well, when we did the uh, prints of these body, like Jake Gillenhall, Ryan Reynolds, and the rest of them, um, then they give us this um, urethane block that's kind of, it's all milled out so beautifully, which we moulded off of, and then we go, go from there. So you still but have then, to mould it. And then you still got to mould it. Yeah, yeah that all goes on. And then I mean, You were showing me that with that CNC. I mean, that block, that's not cheap, that stuff. Is no, it? Urethane no, it's block. Dear, dear material. But then, as well as that, costume. I said to costume, "Do you want these?" Well, yeah. We've got to now. We've got some urethane people who can pin our costumes on. Yeah, yeah. And make costumes. It's so tough. Yeah. Yeah. It could be the finished thing. The funny thing is, we could have cut that down again and used that for smaller pieces, couldn't we? Yeah. Now yeah. uh, we passed it. On. So we're putting out a lot of goodwill as well to people. They did say we're very reasonable, but it was it was a um, you know less, so much less messy. Do you know what I think? Honestly, I think the the, the, the way people feel about materials and things like skips and landfill, especially in this country, because yeah. we haven't got a landfill space, I think those downward pressures on it are probably more That's instrumental yeah, in changing way. things. Not this waste. Than the, less the, the yeah. Plus the bandage. Yeah. 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 It can be expensive. And all the sludge going down wherever it goes. Yeah. Well, that's no sludge, no plaster bandage. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And the, you know the cost of getting rid of stuff is going to go up, and then you can't just throw away a can of resin when it's and yeah, it's casting people is a very responsible job, but it takes a lot of the. You're not going to kill anyone, sit them in a chair and flashing lights at them. Yeah, unless they've got yeah. epilepsy, I suppose. Yeah. And maybe they can't do it with someone like that. But um, it cuts out a lot of potential risk, though, doesn't it? The discomfort that people would have. 
Yeah. And you've got to have life casts for a long time to really appreciate that. And we've all done it. Yeah. And that weird thing sometimes where you get like a bruise on the bridge of the nose. Yes. Yeah, especially no with uh, silicon. With silicon. Yeah. It's only yeah, silicon that's ever had. And I've only had it I've only had it once. And then I saw another picture. And I thought that right. rolled off quick. Because mm. we had a picture taken of the guy. You know that do you remember that? And your eyelashes sticking it. You know that they're not too bad. It's not they're cool, they're, they're, yeah, the first sort of stuff they're stuck in it. Don't I they? I really I'm a massive fan of Bentley's um, body. What's it? What's it? Which one is it? It's the new one. It's the body double smooth or something. It's, it's not oily now. Silk. It? Silk. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's the best. And it's got. And it doesn't. You know the other stuff even goes a bit short after a while. You go to one of those molds like. A month later or two months, it's still good, you know. Body double silk, it's so nice, it goes on really well. It's the best stuff out there, and it comes off hair. Better than anything, actually. It's my my preference after trying it all. Mm. Um, no, I mean, uh, yeah, we got it. We got it with. Um, I think this maybe because it's thinner there and there's some pressure from the plaster. I don't know what it is, but we did this first it's a suction. When you're it's pulling it off, yeah, because I've never. It's like a love bite on your nose. Yeah, yeah. and there's never it. any. There's never any. Yeah, Apparently, I think silicon probably creates a seal. Yeah, like yeah, seal. yeah, yeah. What's the name? Which is very annoying for them on that film. Oh, what's the name? Uh, the lady from Penny Dreadful. She apparently had it, and it was a bit of a really bad. But we had a guy in here. We did that the ogre commercial when he goes on holiday yeah, and it all falls off. He did, but then he had a photograph later on. And it was all gone. Mm. And I said, "Oh, that was quick." The cat's put some makeup on him. Yeah, <laughs> but he can see it. Because <laughs> yeah. if not, it's just is that bruise colour? It's not like you whacked him or anything. It's just got that weird bruise. It's there. a bruise colour. It's not like a dent or a, a raised horrible thing. He was fine about it, but I can imagine something like um, what's her name, Green? Um, Penny Dreadful. Eva yeah, Green. Green. Yeah, I can imagine she had to go on set and not yeah. be nice, yeah, or it might be worse. I think it really made her go black eyes as well. So that's the one thing about. But when I've done mm. silicones, I've never had it. I've just done the faces. Mm. I suppose when it's a full head, maybe that's what it does as well. Uh, I think the the thing is that the digital side of things is it, it seems to polarise people into people that do it or completely don't. And I think the thing is to erode that division. I think yeah. it doesn't need to be quite such a clear Both. division. I think it would be easier for but people who can. Planet of the Apes. The last Planet of the Apes. I thought, wow, it's stunning. But then I saw Tarzan, yeah. a new Tarzan film, good. which is a good film. Yeah, but, but the apes weren't as good as the Planet of the Apes CGI. Oh. I didn't think that was good. They looked like they were mm. cut out and planted there. But I do. I, I don't wonder if like not enough people do it well for them to be like. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if lots of people could do it well, I think you'd, you'd start seeing better CG because. It's like a, a language that people can understand. Go, oh, this is good and that's bad. Whereas, oh, that studio's better, so we've got to use this studio, and they show now and it's average. Do you know I, what I mean? I've got a theory, and my personal theory is that our brain, on our way of taking in information, is so much more than we imagine it can be. That if you see too much CGI, if I see when I first saw Matrix, all that, all those little spidery things going around, those those, those squid things, metallic. Mm. I felt incredibly tired and couldn't watch this. My brain starts to shut And I think it's like in one eye and out the other. But if you mix it with the right amount of real stuff, you know, bingo. Mm. You know, X-Men, you've got those great big guys, robots flying around, fighting them. 
How but, else can but you do kids that? are growing up on this CG, and it's that's what they're used to. But Jurassic Park uh, CGI techniques, and you can even put it on their phone as an app now and make it. Mm. It's like easy peasy. That blew me away when they first bought all those big things walking around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes that's why comic books can now be made. Definitely, it could be made before. Well, it just frees you up, and now you know if the movie shit, it's because you're fucking terrible at telling the story, mm. rather than because the effects you couldn't afford it. You know what I mean? Like, there's no excuse now. Good story, good story, good actors beats everything. Imagination. Because you can build a massive village or a massive spaceship. You don't have to show people things. I like it sometimes when something happens to someone, they didn't have to show it. Yeah. And you just know that that's happened and that's good enough. That's personal, isn't it? I mean, I don't have to see everything going on that goes on. But it just needs a, a, a maturity. I think we're still in this adolescence. I think people are still... It's like when a kid learns a new swear word, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they use it all the time. <laughs> and over time, you learn when it's appropriate, when not. Not just because you're excited about that. And I think it's a little bit that with digital. I think a lot of things get done because they fucking can. When I think everyone's adopted it properly, yeah, cause they can then we won't be so... We won't have a hard-on for it quite so much, and it'll just fucking calm the fuck down. It's a do it well. Can sit in a nice office and go, I'll oh, just do that now. It's easier than being out in the cold. Yeah, but it, it's making. But then, if those decisions are shit, shit decisions, I think it will show. Because I remember seeing, like Stephen Summers directing one of the first Mummy, and there were a lot of things that it felt like they were making decisions just to speed things along. Because it's you know, we want to get this done, chop chop, we'll fix it and post. Don't bother putting the gloves on now. We'll put them on afterwards. Yeah. And then when you see it, you go, "Well, it fucking looked like he was in a hurry." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, whereas some digital stuff. I mean, you look at oh, Forrest Gump that. or something. That was fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but it was Gollum. intelligently done. We worked on Werewolf, didn't we? With, you know, finally with Rick Baker. Mm. And I saw a very passionate man who was my god of effects. Um, basically, kind of like, um, not really being appreciated, actually, for what he was doing. And I felt that the whole machinery behind the making of that film, directorship-wise, was just about... You know, you know, he's a good director. He did the director at the end. It's guy Jumanji. He, he, yeah, he did Jumanji, which is obviously they kind of he did Jumanji, a sort of animals CGI. Let's get that in. Horrible. But I saw stuff shot oh, that took my breath away. It wasn't in the film. Couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I saw the old Spencer Wilding hacking through the pinewood. They they gave it. Um, they put they had a tube right that was about I don't know hundreds of yards long in a big loop mm-hmm. and they were pumping smoke through it and there were like, the perforations so you had that mist it's two o'clock in the morning mist and there's this guy running away from old Spencer Spencer's after him and he turned around and he nearly, he nearly gave Spencer a shot straight in the face with his, with a blank which would have hurt actually and uh, some of the stuff is just a, oh, when we see that it's going to be amazing where was it I was in it they, they cut me out <laughs> oh, Gypsy Jones. That's why I was live cast. Oh my god! Yeah, but they did a re. Apparently, they took it back to the audience in America. One of these late night things. They said, "Oh, blah blah," and they came back and did all reshoots. Do you got any pictures of that? Of uh, Gypsy John. Oh god, somewhere there, there is. Actually, there is. Yeah, there is. There is. A, of my dummy. Yeah, Gypsy John. Gypsy John. <laughs> American werewolf. But there, it's quite interesting as well because. Uh, there was this nice, it's a lovely thing with Rick Baker, he's on YouTube, talking about live casting for, America, for Werewolf. 
And he says, so here are the guys, you'll see them putting on the algae. Hang on, this isn't from the original American World. No, this is from actually this World film. Oh, I was going to say. So he's on there, and there's a screen. Oh. And there's me, live casting, like, well, I'm just doing it with bandage. And what I liked about this was he's laying there like that, with live casting, and the guy said, the guy that's taking the film, says, so how does he get out of this? And I said, watch. And I said, take a deep breath in, and just see everything go pop, 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 pop. And all the sections just come on. Oh, no. It's all on the screen. It's on, if you look at it, it's on um, Rick Baker, Werewolf. But he said at this point they're putting on the alginate, so obviously he didn't know what was on the screen because they weren't putting on any alginate, which is a bit like oops. Someone should tell them that. That's uh, 3D scans of uh, Anthony Hopkins on that, wasn't it? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I've never done a 3D scan of anybody. So how, I'm going to I'm going to scan you today. You're going to scan me? Yeah. Wicked. So what makes a good scanning procedure is it just how you hold it or is it the person moves or the scanner it doesn't moves? like hair it doesn't like hair it's hair because it's using light it's to... light and it, it goes into there and gets confused and doesn't come back to the machine okay because it's the light hitting the object and coming back gives you the dimensions and I don't know how that works okay so if you were doing a life <coughs> or something well, well, you can put talcum powder in their hair and, and then it, it sees the hair and it sees the hair I, did, I got my uh, one of Robin up there, so I put loads in his beard. That's Robin. Yeah. Oh my god! I didn't realise. You see, he got all the beard. Yeah. So you tap the beard, and then it becomes a surface that it can yeah. actually see. Because it loves plaster. Matt White loves it. Shiny black. It, it can't even see it. Right. So again, I guess because it's to do with the light thing. Yeah. So what about? So when you're scanning someone, so you move around the person, and, yep. do it, and it collects all the information in, so that, and it takes roughly how long to do a scan? Of a head? Yeah. 40 seconds. Okay, the whole thing. So you just walk around doing it from all the angles? Yeah, I do a head. A body takes a bit longer, but you, you do lots of scans, and then put it into the computer, works it all out, and sticks it together. Is that right? So the yeah. software actually yeah, assembles it? Yeah. So you don't have to manually... No, it not up. really. A little bit, a little bit of that. That's but amazing. Because it's picking up the colour, it's called texture. Right. And the um, geometry. Right. And it matches it. So if there are common areas, it just recognises yeah, it the same and then pitches it together. It's amazing. So once you've got your your raw scan, presumably yeah. then some clean up may need to happen. Yeah. With things like eyebrows or hairs, like In looking edge. at this Daniel Craig scan there's like some you know the eyebrows are pretty serious on them but I'm guessing that's because the light's caught cool, but they haven't been only done afterwards no and then that's it, pretty yeah it hasn't been touched up too much just the eyes there okay so you then go in and fix those or yeah. clean those up and then you output that as, a, as, a, as an object but, but you'll see it pretty much comes out done okay pretty much I put loads of talc in your beard I'll make me look about 20 years older <laughs> it's, it's really flattering. Really? Yeah, people love it because it looks so flattering. Not like live cars, you bring them out and they go, oh god, I'm, I'm a bit big. So, in a word, what if do you think you about scanning, the future of scanning? It's basically, there's going to be more of it, it's going to get better, the printer is going to get better. Every home will have a scanner and a printer. Or well, probably be, it on be your phone. phone. Yeah, it'll be fine. But fun. then it, it just down to what you do with the stuff. That's the thing. It's not just about yeah. You know, okay. You everyone can do a scan. Like everyone can take a picture on their phone. But that don't mean everyone's taking amazing. Well, give me a nice little example. Years ago, Bob King was doing some animations, and he had some kind of um, geeky 
computery type of guys in there. And they were, doing, they were doing stuff that was very much, very flat looking and everything else. Well then, Paul Catlin did a little intro to um, something, and he had a tail whispering around, CGI tail, and a spaceship taking off, he had all kinds of things going on, this amazing tail thing. And I showed it to the CGI guys, and they went, wow. And said, this must be where his artistry, his abilities of drawing, takes the technology and turns it into something more real, more alive. Yeah. So you can't just have it, not nuts and bolts, but chips and, and, and wires. It has to have the content, human content, and their, their creative ability of the input. Yeah, and because we know live casting, it's just... It does, because we know live casting, exactly. Yeah. I think it's the thing. I think I think people need to get over the technology and be like, it's, it's not just about oh, I can scan it and it's done. It's like yeah, all you've done now is acquire the original object. Now what are you going to do with it? Yeah, that's where the fucking creativity is. Also, time you is know. money. The time is money. So basically, we've streamlined the process. Mm. We've made it more accurate. Mm. We've made it a lot more comfortable. Mm. Environmentally friendly. A lot more environmentally friendly. Mm. But we've still only ended up with an original face. I guess now it goes to visual effects whatever but now the onus is on the, the creative part is what are you going to do with it now you've got it which is why you know these things you've done that's the creativity you know this is like the perfunctory yeah yeah this is the this tool is the life cards this is the tool to enable this to happen this creative stuff yeah. and that's the bit i think people are lacking i think people want to just have an app that does the thinking for it yeah if you go on part, you know you've got to have the stuff you've got to have the technology but it's just well, if you go on 3d printing Places where they're printing out, it's loads of little Yodas and yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not really using it to. No, it's not no, at all. No, it's getting better. It's like having the internet and just using it for porn. It's like it's good for that, but, we, but you know, it's, it's it can best. do so much more. You so know? Stuart, where we were going at one point, I thought was there was a scene where they wanted uh, Michael Caine to be younger, like sort of like um, Ipris role type looking. And so I thought, why don't we scan him, not like guys, I'm scanning, and then do a, from that scan we'll take a mould and we'll take a plastiline, and we'll sculpt him back to being younger from that first scan. And then we'll scan that, and then we'll give that to visual effects. Mm -hmm. And then they can literally make him look younger from a 3D scan of his younger face. Yeah. And it was kind of like, wow, you know, what what can't you do? It's amazing. But that's the thing, it's taking those things and yeah. knowing that those are, yeah. are doable yeah. and then giving it to visual effects so you're actually yeah. working between parts. Yeah. Rather than saying, because I remember doing some stuff on um, a Marvel movie, I won't say what, quite right, they were going back and forth for ages about design, farting around. And then they ended up doing like a 3D print of the thing, yeah. but it needed cleaning out and then they're going to mould it and then incorporate the prosthetics back and forth. And of course, the digital side of it didn't know anything about the sculpting thing and fabricating masks technology and it's kind of like I could see even though I personally didn't know either particularly well I could see that there was a, a department that needs to exist that understands live casting whatever the, the fact that a human body is not perfect but a fucking suit is and they'll probably do it digitally but they need to marry up that with 
this technology. And when a spark went off in my head and you said, oh, we took a scan of this and we sent it to visual effects. And I'm thinking, that's what needs to happen. What, that, that is the gap that's not happening. Yeah. You get people for the arms going on, full yeah. on practical. You get digital people saying, no, I don't like the smell of clay. And yeah. then they, they fucking turn their voice <coughs> to each other and don't talk. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, there's all the stuff. You want to be the guy picking both their fucking arms. Yeah, yeah. The first, time, the, yeah. Yeah. first time someone said to me, is CGI taking away your living? I'd say, well, actually, 25% of my job this year was to help CGI do life casting because they wanted something to scan. Yeah. They wanted, they wanted a solid. Yeah. And uh, so that's how it kicked off. And then we could join, we joined, joined in. And it's thanks to Tristan's vision, really. We'll see how quick it is. So Tristan explained how hair doesn't show up very well as the process is an optical one and the device is a handheld camera basically with multiple lenses and it's set at angles and it provides like a constant burst of flashing light so that means the reflected image is recorded rapidly as the scanner moves in space around the object in this case the object being my head Tristan dusted my hair in powder, basically like a makeup powder, to make it opaque, and that meant that it responded more readily to the reflected light, whereas it might otherwise diffuse the light and mess with the scan, as hair is somewhat translucent, and you have to bear in mind that it has a texture to it, so essentially that means it was invisible to the scanner. The first attempt just showed up with me missing the lower half of my face, which is quite disconcerting. Now you just run it through these filters and something like that. Wicked. Can you email that to me? Yeah. I'm pleased to say this scan worked and I was excited to see the results. It's the scan colour. I'll quickly go through the processes. Uh, find registration. That, does that fill in the blanks and smooth it out a bit? Yeah. Well, I've got a really talky beard. Pretty talky. She's brushing it off. And there I am. There you are. You've got my magic nub on the back of my head. <laughs> Gets everything. Look at that. Look at the texture. The seam and the stitching in the, in the top. And that took like, what, 15, 20 seconds? Yeah. Amazing. Let's get your little vein. <laughs> this picked you up really well. And you see the, the eyes there, it's, the, it's a hull. Yeah. goes inwards. Incredible. Trillions of little pixels. Wow, that's pretty intense. Oh, amazing. Well, thanks, Bert. That's brilliant. It's all right. And there we go. Look at it. Me is a 3D scan. It's he's flattering, isn't it? Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> Whether I like it or not, yeah, it is much more flattering than a lifecast. Oh, it's more accurate as well. That was it. It was just to say uh, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate this. And there's all the yeah, sounds of the workshop right. going on so downstairs with the saw, and there's like the buses outside. But that's what a workshop environment is. So I wanted to Hello, get the sounds. Look at that. You look amazing. Actually, that's a good face, isn't it? Yeah. You might end up in a movie. <laughs> That is good, isn't it? It's nice doing it a difference. It's nice, isn't it? Nice one, guys. Put you off a little head. Oh, that'd be amazing. Thank yeah. you very much for your time. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It's all right. Thank you. 
So it's just um, it's just worth going through some emails. We we get emails all the time that we respond to. I think a lot, most of the emails we get, we just respond to. But sometimes they're worth either they 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 go towards a blog post inspiration or or they're just outright funny, like this one. <laughs> Let's have a little. Uh, oh, it's a good. It's a good one. one. Nothing, nothing suspicious about this at all. Very well thought out. Hello. Firstly, I would like to know your location and if you are a makeup artist and if you accept credit card as mode of payment. If yes, I'm having a wedding ceremony on the 15th of August. Will you be available on that date? And we are 11 in number that you would make up for. And if you also do tattoo eyebrows, so I want to know the estimate for the 11 of us. And I would be glad if you can finish the makeup before 6 p.m. on 15th of August. I would like to hear from you soon. Thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> An impeccable spelling and punctuation as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> I sense a great disturbance in the force. Um, I think I actually did a screen grab of that and put it up uh, on, on Facebook, and there were a number of people who said, "Yeah, I got the same email." So I think it was a it did a round robin of uh, <laughs> of phishing. Well, I sure funny. hope they found somebody for their wedding. So do I. Yeah, the tattoo eyebrows. I couldn't work out if they meant they wanted eyebrows to be tattooed or they had tattoo eyebrows and they wanted to make them not look like they were tattooed. Either way, sounds like fun. Okay, we had a a, a pretty good um, uh, email from uh, Michael Dinnett, who had uh, a very uh, interesting angle, I think, something we should look at with materials. Yeah, Michael's a good guy. He's my, He's in L.A. and has been doing this for a long time, and... I won't read all of his email. It's 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 pretty lengthy, but we'll get the the gist of it. And I think we'll probably try to get a three way conversation going at some point, so mm-hmm. we can include him in one of our podcasts because he's got some great ideas here. So it starts off saying, "I don't know how much broad spectrum appeal this would have, but after listening to some of the more technical discussions, I think it might be fun to talk about some of the more advanced materials in greater depth and some." Of the brand contrasts. I know that smooth on syntactic system came up, but it might be interesting to bring up the ad tech stuff or mineral filled urethanes like BJB's 1630, Freeman's Repro One, or BCC's FastCast Blue versus unfilled urethanes like Polytech's Easy Flow series, or just generally what people could do to make more durable molds. And then he goes on with some other stuff and then closes out saying, since you guys bridge the Atlantic, it might also so be interesting to talk about how American makeup effects historically influenced the UK and conversely how the UK influenced the craft in the US. Just some ideas. I've really been enjoying the podcast. Well, thanks, Michael. I appreciate that big time. Uh, and we'd love to get you involved on, on one of our upcoming podcasts so we can address this stuff. I think that would be great. Mm. I mean, three of our recording is, is terrifying because you've got it three – three different uh, time zones <laughs> to coordinate. But if we could do that, that'd be great right. for a short while. Um, it's interesting because a lot of the materials that I tend to use over here are, are from the States, like Polytech stuff. Uh, there's a lot of smooth on stuff. I haven't used a lot of smooth myself. It's not out of like anger or hatred. It's just, I just haven't. Um, I know, you know, I'm very familiar with Polytech stuff because we used to use it in Neil's all the time. Um, sure. So, you know, the whole sort of easy flow thing I know very well. And I guess you tend to gravitate towards what you know you know comfortably and you know you know if you pick up a bottle of something and it's going to work you tend to buy that again rather than take a punt on something you don't yeah, know absolutely so. you know ultimately it comes down to personal preference for for most things um i've used bjb's 1630 which i think is fantastic mm-hmm. uh, i use some of polytech's uh silicones um but smooth on's been very good to me and 
some of their materials. In fact, most of the materials that I use, I like very much, and they've they've not failed me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to continue using them. And to top it all off, you know, there's a, a smooth on store ten minutes from me. There's a Reynolds Advanced Materials very close by. So if I need something, bam, I can have it immediately. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's not a small thing to consider. Is you know you know what is it you can get easily because that will influence your choice of material supplier because it's going to be something you're going to keep buying it makes sense if it's a real pain to get stuff or very expensive to have it delivered then it's you know eminently very sensible to choose someone that's that's local or from people you trust as well because you sure. just, relationships just the import you know. costs between you know buying a uk product and having it shipped here or vice versa mm. can get ridiculous yeah i'm sure it'll unless you've got suppliers locally that are that have already taken care of that but then you know they still have to pass some of those costs on to you Mm. we'll see how he goes after the the whole brexit thing really kicks in we'll see maybe <laughs> things change that something i'm interested in what a world is, what a world yeah something i'm interested in trying out more of is um the uh the, the polymer the plaster polymers like jesmonite and there's uh, acrylic one which is uh, something that's big in sweden and and various other parts of europe north europe um I haven't used a huge amount of it myself, but it's one of those things that because it doesn't have any fumes, um, it's the kind of thing that colleges are, are more likely to be using more of. And it's sure. An entirely bad thing to uh, to um, to be using yourself, you know, in your own workshop. So yeah, no ventilation is a, is a big concern. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to suddenly find yourself up to your chin in floor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one to the, uh, the this third email that we had. We had a, a nice email from someone called Emily Page of JNE Creations, and they're cosplay nerds by their own admission. Um, and they say, "Hi, I hope this is an okay question to ask." Absolutely, it is. Um, how does the process of floating clay work? I'd love to be able to remove the clay piece from the plaster head that I sculpted on, and cast and mold it separately. But I don't see how the act of submerging it in water and plying it off the plaster would actually work. Thanks, Emily. And I reply to her with this following response. Um, It was, hi, Emily, thanks for your message. You're right that simply immersing in water won't work. You need to first prepare the sculpted surface with a water-activated release agent, such as a dental plaster separator. In the US, there is Alcoat. In the UK, the most common one is Scopas Parting Agent, which is from Taranti. Um, T I-R-A-N-T-I, Alec Taranti is a sculptor supplies, but also Neil Gorton selling it from Neil's Materials, and I think it's just called Plaster Separator, um, but you want to use those first. Um, if you don't have either of those things, you can, in a pinch, use KY Jelly, um, but it does take longer to dry. Um, in either case, you apply it to the plaster, allow it to dry thoroughly before sculpting. I personally like to leave it overnight, if possible, before sculpting, and then when you sculpt over the top, that is then what is reactivated by putting it in water. Be talking. I know, but it's just shit. We've had such problems with technology. It's just been shit. <laughs> you do a terrific James Mason. Anybody ever tell you that? <laughs> I've always wanted to be able to do one. The master will see you now. His name is Barlow, and he's fucking ugly. <laughs> now do something from North by Northwest. I don't know. I have um, to look that up. lots of things. I don't know. He was in the Amberable Crichton, wasn't he? Was that him? Uh, he he was James Mason was wonderful. Yeah, he was fucking very very funny. So that takes us up to the end of the next part of this podcast. Let me try that again. So that takes us to the end of this podcast, which is wonderful. I'm very excited about the next one because we're going to be talking to Rob Smith, not the front man of the Cure, but the front man of Blood. 
Blood, Mr. Blood. Mr. Blood. Yeah, and so please. Well. Say what? A, he knows a lot about foam latex, too. One of my favorite subjects. There we go. No, you, you'll enjoy it. It's, it's pretty good. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'll be, uh, podcast number 15 is all about uh, uh, Rob Smith. It's called Rob Smith, Master of Blood. 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 15 podcasts, seriously? I know. It's taken us a couple of years to get that far. We're still plugging along. It's just one of those things. It's just fitting it around everything else. But uh, We'll get the hang of it one of these days. Well, we'll be back in strength. So, uh, yeah. We need to get people to subscribe. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and other podcast suppliers. And also review us. We'd love to hear what you think. Mostly if it's good. But anything you can tell us to make it better. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to know. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to email us your questions uh, about subjects you want to hear more about, please, at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. And check out our Facebook page as well. We have a Facebook page. The Facebook page is called Stuart and Todd, but also if you just look up Battles with Bits of Rubber, you'll find us on there. We're there. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks very much, Todd. I shall speak to you soon. Oh, thanks, Stu. It was a pleasure. Uh, nice one, mate. Take care, man. You too. Bye. interested to hear your thoughts and fears. Are you a hardline practical effects champion who looks suspiciously at the digital departments? Or are you a cutting-edge pixel pusher who is sick of hearing nostalgic stories of how we max out on brick bakers of medical wealth in London? Maybe you dig plastiline and pixels. You'll happily use clay and ZBrush, and you don't see why you have to pick a side. Get in touch by dropping us an email at stuartandtodd at gmail.com, or leave a comment on our Facebook page. Just look us up, Battles with Bits of Rubber. <laughs>